Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Fluelling. Well, I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, some days you have it, some days you don't. I um, I got up, printed a bunch of stuff, and had every intention of just a simple review and comment on the news going through story by story. And then the last article that I printed from the Washington Examiner um, by a lady uh, named Kimberly Ross. Uh, unfortunately, I've never heard of her. I did a little searching to see who she was, but um, very fascinating article. And what I'd like to do at the risk of, uh, you know, droning on and on, I'd like to read her article. It's not all that long, but her piece is absolutely, in my opinion, and my opinion is just one of many, is spot on. And before I read it, I will, I will forewarn you the first paragraph, if you are a Christian, and after that, probably much of the article, if you are a Trump supporter, may not um, rub you the right way. However, I would urge you to hang with me and stick with me and, and you know, put the emotion down, which in this day and age uh, at this time in the United States of America is almost impossible as we see daily in the news. But if you could do that, and it, it kind of encapsulates many of the things I've said over the years um, during the Trump era and many of the things even before Donald Trump that I have um, sounded uh, in this bizarre intersection of religion and politics, if you will. So, again, um, do not tune out if, if that f the first paragraph by uh, Kimberly Ross offends you because hang in there. I think there's a lot of good things in this piece. And a lot of interesting things that I will stop and start several times and give some flavor and commentary on. So the article is called The Christian Nationalism Experiment Failed. And this was um, just January 14th, which is uh, Friday. Uh, so it is well after the craziness at the Capitol last week and the uh, winding down of the Trump administration and the bizarre uh, re-impeachment nonsense, et cetera, et cetera. The, the dust is, is settling, at least on the Trump era. Uh, it certainly is not settling um, with this crazy right-left thing that we have going on. But many in the audience, myself included, are faith-based voters, and we are we should be uh, constantly asking the Holy Spirit, where do I reside on this issue or that issue? How should I feel about this issue? What should I do? Whom should I vote for, et cetera, et cetera? These are questions that you should be asking yourself on a daily basis, not just during election season. So the piece is the Christian nationalism experiment failed by Kimberly Ross. She's a contributor to many outlets. Um, I happen to get this off the Washington Examiner website. Article starts this way. The United States, <clears throat> excuse me, is not a Christian nation. Still, we reside in a country that pledges to be one nation under God and holds in God we trust as its motto. 
At best, these are hopeful suggestions and remnants of some small parts of our past, but they do not represent who we are, especially at present. Because of this reality, many in the faith community have looked for an audacious political leader to battle secularism for quite some time. After decades of playing relatively nice, they decided on a new approach. In 2016, Donald Trump became the chosen one, in quotes, and an era of high-profile Christian nationalism began. Only this time, the strength of passion behind the movement hit growing progressivism head-on. This toxic mix has only grown worse as many in the Republican Party became obsessively convinced of the president's divinely inspired rightness, no matter the words, issues, or actions. He was placed in a position of power to save our nation and change the course of history. One could argue he accomplished the latter, the former, not so much. Now, um, that is quite a lot to put into two paragraphs. Let me give you some thoughts on those paragraphs. Obviously, the first one, if you could take it the wrong way, you could be quite offended by the fact that uh, she starts out by saying the United States is not a Christian nation. I believe what she means by that is we are not a theocracy, uh, theocracy as uh, all Islamic nations are, where religion and politics are inextricably intertwined. The state is religion and religion is the state. Uh, we are not set up that way, obviously. And, um, and Barack Obama himself has uh, stated we are not a Christian nation. And I'll, I'll be kind to him and Miss Ross here and say what I, what I believe they mean is um, our freedom of religion um, as articulated in the Constitution clearly um, indicates that the state, the government entities as such, will not dictate uh, whom you or I should worship. And that is a good thing, even though I am a Christian and many people in the audience are Christians, that is a good thing. Uh, she continues, still we reside in a country that pledges to be one nation under God, God we trust. Um, I'm okay with that because I understand what she means. Uh, the next few lines, uh, the piece was a little off-putting to me when it said, at best, these are hopeful suggestions and remnants of some small parts of our past, but they do not represent who we are, especially at present. Now, I don't really know if... Um, I'm, as I'm digesting this, I'm thinking Miss Ross may be more um, trying to point out that we are kind of sliding morally as a culture and as a religious people. And I will cede that point. If if her if her intentions on that statement were that um, these are small parts of our past, um, in in literal terms, she's incorrect. They are, as I would contend, very large parts of our past. Uh, in God we trust. Um, our Judeo-Christian principles that we believe in were the foundation for the Constitution, the laws that you and I respect hopefully these days um so i i don't think it's a small part of our past but i think miss ross may may be alluding to the fact that um many of those principles to a whole lot of folks unfortunately in this culture 
are kind of way in the uh, rearview mirror and they are antiquated principles. And we have, um, as, uh, as the Christian left would say, we have new and ever evolving views on right and wrong and what the Bible is uh, telling us. So I, I think she's probably, um, trying to articulate something like I just did. Now, the second paragraph is pretty action packed and, um, it is really uh, quite in the face of a very large percentage of our culture, particularly Christians, who did indeed see Donald Trump as a savior, one that could take the flag and the Bible and wrap it all up and fight against evil. And, you know, when I say things like I, I think Donald Trump was was quite opportunistic in smelling that in the culture and knowing that the culture was ripe for something like that, particularly evangelicals or faith-based voters. And he seized on that. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily evil, but I, I think being an opportunist in that respect is, is certainly something that if we really put our thinking caps on, we, we can get our heads around that, that um, that is indeed the case. And if it is, He's a politician as, as much as he says he is not. Um, but I'd like to focus on the evangelicals or the faith-based voters that, um, that seemingly looked to Donald Trump as a savior. We have one savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And as much as I nor you like the way Republicans operate um, at the state level or nationally in Washington, and we do uh, indeed like a fighter and somebody that will fight for uh, principles that this country was founded on. Um, I, I'm very troubled by what I hear from a lot of folks like, what are we going to do now? Um, and they're putting their sights on 2024. Trump's coming back. Um, or, you know, Trump's starting a, a news agency or Trump's starting a co competitive um you know, entity with Twitter. Um, and again, you know, these, these are not inherently horrible, um, wishes on the part of faith-based voters. But I think when we look to Donald Trump as a savior, us on the Christian right, if you will, then what we are, um, what we have a potential to do, and I've done it as well, as much as many of you think that I'm bashing Trump quite a bit re recently, I've done it quite a bit over the last four years. Um, we tend to get whipped up in the flag waving and, um, Donald Trump holding a Bible or quoting some Bible verses. And, and we tend to miss some of the glaring hypocrisy that is out there. And that's what Miss Ross is pointing out in the second paragraph here when she says this toxic mix has only grown worse as many Republicans um, have become obsessively convinced of the president's divinely inspired rightness, no matter the words, issues, or actions. And that is the big uh, conundrum. And we always get back to on this show deductive reasoning, thinking, 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 um, think beyond the obvious Fox, good CNN, bad Trump, good Biden, bad. And if we think beyond the obvious, 
then we we start to scratch our heads a little bit when Donald Trump says certain things, does certain things, acts a certain way, and we just kind of chalk it up to, well, he's our savior. He's going to push this um, this Christianity thing, or he's going to stand up for the Ten Commandments or whatever. And then, and I think the article alludes to this um, later on in the article. Then, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very dangerous situation, which is called the emperor has um, has new clothes and they look beautiful. And we all know the story. One little kid chimes in and says, what are you guys talking about? The emperor's naked. And then everybody stops. Um, just like in that crowd, there were not too many. It probably just one, the little kid that had the courage and naivete and honesty and, and whatever to call it like he saw it. My problem is in this culture, we don't really seem to have a lot of people that are calling it the way it is. We have a weird, weird amalgamation of people that um, either uh, focus on every minute detail of Donald Trump and his family and his policies and demagogue everything that comes out of his mouth and for the most part lie about him because they hate his guts and they hate the fact that he's a fighter, which I respect. And then we have in the other side of the world, but certainly in the camp of the first uh, group, we have a lot of moderate Republicans that do not like to fight. They like everything just the way it is. They like going off the cliff at 40 miles an hour rather than 80 miles an hour like their Democrat partners. And they are offended by Donald Trump as well um, as he uh, tends to fight and, and kind of upset the apple cart, if you will. And swirling around both of these entities are folks that Miss Ross alludes to. And um, they are in great number and they are people that have such a distaste for the two aforementioned groups, and they should, to the point where just about anything Donald Trump says or does is fine, um, hearkening back to the old adage, the ends justify the means, and they certainly do not. So uh, where I find myself, where some of you find yourself where some politicians find themselves are, are in a very odd category of folks that um, are pretty devout about the, the word of God. They're pretty conservative on the ideological continuum. Uh, when Donald Trump does or says things wrong, they articulate it. And they're not really too afraid of being lumped together with soft Republicans or, um, you know, Democrats or liberals. So we have this weird kind of stew of a lot of individuals out there. And um, this is a time for reasoning. This is a time for thinking. This is a time to go to the word of God, which never changes. Rely on the Holy Spirit to discern, um, is this politician genuine? Is he or she an opportunistic uh, individual that's just tickling my ears with the Christian thing, the pro-gun thing, the lower tax thing um, for self-serving uh, reasons. We need to think these things through. And I don't think there's a ton of thinking going on out there because the emotional level on both sides of any issue is so toxically high 
that um, reason and thinking is pretty much out the window. So I continue with this article. She says, early on, it became clear that the Republican Party under Trump would be unseemingly devoted to the man through thick and thin. After all, he was placed in the White House for such a time as this, in quotes. Criticism was not allowed. Engaging in any condemnation meant a tacit endorsement of the left and by extension, godless socialism. Trump represented the party of freedom of speech and religion, the right to bear arms, small government, right to life, and pride in the country. No matter the issue, opposing him was proof the combatant didn't care much about stopping evil or defending the good. Worst of all, it was proof that they didn't care about our nation and its transformation. Let us digest that paragraph um, packed with a lot of good stuff. I kind of touched on a little bit of it before, but she is spot on. Um, because everyone has the attention span of a gnat, because emotions are high, because we are so angry at people that do not think like us <clears throat> or vote like us or conduct themselves like we do, or at least we feel we should. We are hypercharged and we're ready for a fight and uh, fighting or righteous indignation is good. But if we are just hairpin trigger ready to fight someone, judge someone and not listen to someone or blindly follow someone, we are in for a whole lot of trouble. And Miss Ross uh, articulates that in this paragraph. And I have been exactly where she is, where if you say something about Donald Trump that a Trump devotee does not like, do they say, hey, Kurt, tell me what you mean by that. That doesn't really make any sense. I thought you were a Republican or I thought you were a conservative. And we have a discussion. And then the person goes, you know, that's a good point. That doesn't mean they're not going to vote for Donald Trump or support Donald Trump, but at least it means they're thinking. We need thinking individuals, uh, Democrat, Republican, left, right. We need citizens that think. And if you are blindly following somebody, um, as, as Ms. Ross um, indicates here, and someone brings up a flaw in um, Donald Trump, either personally or how he um, executes his job as um, commander in chief, that certainly doesn't mean that you don't care about gun ownership or small government a right to life or pride in the country. Um, this line that she says, no matter the issue, opposing him was proof that the combatant didn't care much about stopping evil or defending the good. That's ridiculous. And that is really at the, at the nub of what I'm talking about. If, if somebody can't have a five minute discussion with you or I, if we have a problem with blind nationalism or um, Trump being the savior or the crusader for good over evil. And if he's carrying that out in a way that is in direct conflict with the word of God, um, we got to have that discussion. And if we do have it, we have to enter into it this way. We have to enter into it that this person 
may not be a friend of the left if they just simply point out something that may be wrong. But we live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, where are you for me or again me? Uh, you're over here, I'm over here. And as I have said a billion times on this show, we are uh, dangerously close to a world where that sliver of people that um, can actually think and discuss issues is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And what that does is it really, you may think, you may be angry with that little sliver of individuals that may have a problem with Donald Trump or the Republican Party. But what you're doing by by marginalizing or minimizing that sliver of people that actually think is you're emboldening the left. You're encouraging them. You are um, continuing. Uh, they can very easily continue the propaganda, the lies, etc. If all we are on the right is a bunch of uh, flag-waving uh, robots that don't really care about the person that is uh, articulating this or that or the other or the head of our party or, or whatever. So we move on. At the end of the Trump presidency, a larger audience sees what critics saw all along. Now, she contends people are starting to see this. She may be right. And, and sometimes um, when things are over and the dust is kind of settling, People are a little bit more inclined to to see things that they did not see when they were whipped up with the, the flag or the Bible. Um, it says Christian nationalism is not a healthy extension of belief. And Trump is the last person who should have been tapped to lead the reformational charge. Still, a noxious political atmosphere didn't happen overnight. In this case, it has been brewing for quite some time, long before Donald Trump emerged on the scene. Trump is the Republican Party's immediate answer to the eight years of former President Barack Obama. While the left viewed Trump as the problem, the right primarily saw him as an antidote to a problem. Beyond the purely political motivations sat something even more powerful. Christians in the U.S. embraced him as the unapologetic fighter and defender of their beliefs. It didn't matter if Trump was not devout because God would use him to turn the country back to Christianity and right many wrongs. It is a significant problem with Christian, it is a significant problem with Christian nationalism. It seeks to sway society through legislative means as if the law is what influences hearts. By investing so much in one seemingly anointed man, the Christian community lost sight of the goal early on and idolized the vessel to its collective detriment. I just think that is a, a spot on paragraph packed with so many truths that you cannot possibly digest when you're at a Trump rally or when somebody raises one question about Trump um, down at Liberty University exploiting the Bible and, hey, two Corinthians, that's what it's all about, right? And, and when you say something about that, you are summarily you know, beaten up 
or or what do you like Nancy Pelosi or something? No, um, she is absolutely spot on. And would I agree with um, my friends who really are big Trump fans that the Lord can use whomever He wants to? Absolutely, you do not have to be a perfect righteous man or woman to uh, for God to carry out His purposes. The Lord loves this country. And I think he indeed uh, used Donald Trump for um, for good, and and he put a born again Christian man, a bona fide born again Christian man, in Mike Pence at his right hand for four years to witness to him, to rub off on him, and to pray for him, and and to be a a, a living, breathing, walking model of what a Christian in the political um, service uh, role should be. So I, I, I think um, Donald Trump was indeed used by the Lord to carry out the Lord's purposes. I do not disagree with my friends that are big Donald Trump fans on that one at all. However, as Miss Ross articulates, when we start to see um, Donald Trump and, and, and idolize the vessel, if you will, and to the detriment of forgetting the message that he is uh, purported to defend, um, truth, justice, the American way, God, apple pie, lower taxes, um, the right to bear arms, all this stuff, you know, it, we, we really start to miss it and we can drift and we're, we are, when we idolize the man, then what we start to do is kind of look the other way when the man is one way or another or for the purposes of executing his job is not what I would call a, a true conservative. As I have said many times on this show, um, executive orders every Thursday may seem great if you are a disaffected, frustrated Christian who is tired of the left slapping you around for decades. But as quickly as it takes Donald Trump to write an executive order, it takes Joe Biden just as much time to erase that executive order. And that is clearly what he will do in a matter of days on many, many things. So we move on. The corruption of the Republican Party will last well into the future so too will this corruption of faith. During the last four years, Christianity and Trumpism have become inextricably, uh, inextrinsically, I'm sorry, linked. Undoing it will take a lot of effort. On January 6th, the mob descended upon the Capitol and dispersed among the crowd um, were crosses, signs, and banners with Jesus Saves or Jesus 2020. Days later, the faculty and staff um, of Wheaton College, which is a liberal entity, um, an evangelical institution, but nonetheless um, a, a very soft Christian uh, entity, if you will, issued a statement saying the January 6th attack on the Capitol was characterized not only by vicious lies, deplorable violence, white supremacy, white nationalism, and wicked leadership especially by President Trump, but also by idolatrous and blasphemous abuses of Christian symbols. The mob mentality at the Capitol wasn't just in the name of the Republican Party. It was supposedly a holy stand against the wrong 
In this case, President-elect Joe Biden, who is set to be sworn into office on January 20th. Let me unpack that a little bit. Um, So this is, again, where we run into trouble if we're not thinking if it's just, are you for me or against me? Yeah, I don't, I don't have time for this. Give me, are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump? When we get into that trap, ladies and gentlemen, then we have an entity like Wheaton College who makes, uh, in this statement, some bizarre assertions that are not true and then followed up by some great observations. But neither people on the left or the right will much care about Wheaton College's statements. They will take the ones that they agree with and say, I agree with that. And the other ones they'll dismiss as being crazy. When in reality, we we really have to look at what, what did Wheaton College declare here? What was right? What was wrong? Um, this mob, as they call it, was very much largely peaceful as you and I know, and as anybody that is unpacking the truth in the days after this capital siege understand that um, there are a lot of forces involved that uh, facilitated the siege on the Capitol. Um, I'm not going to get off into a rabbit trail here, but there was Antifa in the mob. I printed a story this morning about a prominent Black Lives Matter a leader that was uh, filming, orchestrating, and indeed fomenting violence at the uh, rally. There were, um, uh, let's just say it is uh, conspicuous as heck to me of how easily um, the uh, the Capitol was breached. I mean, this is the Capitol, for goodness sake. And um People pretty much walked into the Capitol. That does not happen. And that does not happen without um, some support from some uh, for, from some entities. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, so was it a consorted effort by many individuals to, to make this happen? Yes. But in totality, if you, if you add up how many of those individuals there were compared to the hundreds and thousands of um of peaceful uh, marchers, if you will, um, her statement that uh, her, uh, or excuse me, Wheaton College's statement uh, with a very broad brush here that um, that the uh, she, you know, they are implying that the vast majority of these protesters were just crazy religious zealots that were storming the Capitol and and using uh, Jesus for justification to do it. Um, I think that's a stretch. Um, I don't think there was a lot of white supremacists at this rally. Um, I don't think a lot of people were liars at this rally. I don't think um, there were very many people at all that engaged in or advocated violence. Um, so I think Wheaton College, um, not surprisingly, is in the same soup that we're all in here. Um, we're reacting, we're making snap uh, decisions on things and opinions on things, not based and uh, uh, steeped in fact or research or trying to understand people that are talking. We're just, we're, you know, bopping out statements 
and rushing to judgment with this stupid um, re-impeachment nonsense. Um, and nobody's thinking anymore. So Wheaton College, in my opinion, a liberal institution, has has very much got it wrong with the first part of their um, their statement. However, when they say um, it was supposedly a holy stand against the wrong, um, and they say it was idolatrous and blasphemous, you know, um, I think they're swerving into a little bit of truth there. And when you put Donald Trump, the American flag, um, the Constitution, ahead of biblical principles and common sense, then I think that is idolatrous to a degree. Um, when you whore out Jesus, and people hate it when I make that comment, but that that's the only way I can do it. Uh, that's the only way I see it. When you take a Bible and use it as a prop, when you sprinkle in a little Jesus to... Um, you know, bring home the point that the Republican Party is the Jesus Party, and and you're just kind of taking Jesus Christ along for the ride. Yeah, that's blasphemous. So I think Wheaton College does kind of get it right to a degree. I think they're very wrong with their original statements of, um, you know, painting with a very broad brush and mischaracterizing a lot of the people that were there to just because they love their country and they know for a fact that this election was a sham. Um, I think it's great that they got down to Washington on buses and, and, um, and wanted to, you know, do whatever they could do to point out to anybody that would listen that this election was bogus. And it was clearly, but when you start to get into an area where you use Jesus to forward your career, uh, when you use Jesus in an opportunistic way, when you use Jesus, Jesus is real important to you, but he's a really, really close second to your main objective, which is to fill in the blank. That's idolatry. And that's, 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 uh, that's blasphemy and it's not right. So, um, the article wraps up here by, let me get it by saying, um, Okay, the um, Christians and Republicans could not stand by and watch as their only hope for protection was kicked out of the White House. That's a impactful statement, and and again, that illustrates the the fact: if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If Donald Trump is your savior, and I don't know how many times it it has been many that I have heard. In the last couple of months, a lot of Christians wring their hands and say, what do we do now? What are we going to do now? We just got to hunker down and do what we need to do for the next four years. And then um, Trump will come back in a white horse and save us all. Um, I don't think so. Maybe he will. And maybe Donald Trump will be a different person at that point in time. But I think... You know, as, as this article indicates, their their hope for protection was kicked out of the White House. I, I think if you're trying to um, forward the gospel or biblical principles um, by a legislative means, I think you're sadly missing it. Does that mean that we should not be concerned big time? with um, the people we put in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania here in Harrisburg or in Washington, D.C. to represent us? Um, absolutely not. I, I think 
we have to really do our research and take our time. And if we're Christians, um, look to what our template is, which is the, the, the word of God, the Bible. I, I think that's important. And I think we need to pay a lot more attention. And there is nobody uh, higher on the top of the list uh, than me that is really angry and frustrated when Christians check their Christianity at the door and for a couple of weeks before the election get all whipped up into nonsense that some social justice leftist is trying to uh, peddle and successfully, unfortunately, sway a lot of Christians into voting for candidates that have nothing to do with the word of God. Hello, Raphael Warnock. Um, the amount of Christians in Georgia, bona fide born again Christians that you and I will see in heaven that pulled the trigger for Raphael Warnock is, is really quite staggering and it's really very sad. So, um, Am I a proponent of, of getting good Christian men and women in office that are not only good Christian men and women, um, either legislatively or in their mode of governance, but in their personal life as well? Yeah, I'm at the top of the list there, guys. However, um, I am not going to be one of these people that what are we going to do now that, that, um, our our crusader, our vanquisher of evil, Donald Trump, is now not in office. Um, are, are we going to throw all our support, all our eggs in whatever basket that he picks up between now and 2024? Or are we going to get back to basics and worship the Most High God and try to forward um, Christianity? Be, env- be evangelicals as uh, Christ would want us to be and change our culture um, in a practical way, one person at a time, one community at a time. Um, you know, I, I think it, it takes work. We got to, we got to roll up our sleeves. We got to develop relationships. We got to figure out why people don't listen and why people think the way they do. We have to ingratiate ourselves, not in a, um, not in a devious way, but in a loving way. And we have to change hearts, minds, and souls. And we, the uh, first and foremost, and we let God do the heavy lifting. We don't wait for a savior that is going to come into Washington, for goodness sake, on a white horse and vanquish evil, particularly if that individual is quite flawed himself. So the article uh, concludes here. It says, but none of this began with Trump. He was simply the tool that many in the Christian community had been waiting to arrive. As long as he delivered results, the church-going base would look past the deep flaws in his character. Christian nationalism aims to turn the country back to God through the avenues of patriotism and politics. It is a faulty premise from the start because the focus relies far too much on those who crave power first and foremost. I would call them opportunists. This mindset gave Trump a blank check in which he could behave in any manner he chose with little or no repercussions. I could not agree more. Um, and, and I know this hurts a lot of people that are, um, big Trump supporters, but I think we have to, and, and the, the, the ends justifying the means is the fuel, uh, for many of these individuals. But I think 
in a quiet room with the Holy Spirit convicting you, I think Miss Ross puts her finger right on it. And and I'm not faulting Donald Trump because he will come, he will go, and he will be and has been in the past and will continue in the future be replaced by people from dog catcher all the way up to president that will tickle your ears, Mr. and Mrs. Born Again Christian faith-based voter, and tell you that he is for truth, justice, the American way, the Bible, lower taxes, more guns, etc. And he will or she will tell you what you want to hear. And because you're so busy with your family, your friends, and all the rigors of life, you'll let him do the heavy lifting or her do the heavy lifting and and govern or legislate in a manner that you feel is appropriate rather than you doing God's work, which is in your orb, trying to change hearts and minds one person at a time. Um, I know it feels like we are swatting um, locusts with a tennis racket. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm tired as well. But any time that a politician, and this is not Donald Trump's not the first, he will not be the last, that is tapped into a very huge monolithic voting base, which is called, you know, the Christian right, if you will, or evangelicals or faith-based voters. Um, when you tap into that and you put all your eggs in that basket and the personality of whoever is involved or their mode of governments or, or governance or their mode or what the results are of their legislation is really pretty bad. Um, then who gets hurt? Jesus Christ. And God help Raphael Warnock because Raphael Warnock is going to go to Washington and what he is going to do for six solid years is he is going to legislate in a manner that is in direct conflict with Jesus Christ. And, um, it's very strange bedfellows, ladies and gentlemen, but the, the, the liberal Democrats that voted for Raphael Warnock are not the, exactly the same, but very similar to Bible-thumping Republicans that look the other way when Donald Trump does something or says something that is profoundly unchristlike. And uh, I'm not going to put Donald Trump in any way, shape, manner, or form in the same category of Raphael Warnock. He's not a preacher. Um, the things he has done, um, uh, you know, in the political realm are, are, they pale in comparison to the things that Raphael Warnock has promised to do and probably will do in the next six years. So don't, don't think I'm putting them in exactly the same category, but the similarities of voters who take the, uh, the Bible kind of put it in the corner and pull the trigger for somebody without, um, really, really reflecting on who that person is, there are some similarities there and we have to talk about those and we have to understand those. Um, so um, that last line, this mindset gave Trump a blank check in which he could behave in any manner he chose with little uh, to no repercussions. That's huge. Um, last paragraph here, it says the U.S. is a diverse nation. We do not reside in a theocracy. Regrettably, the attempts to place all hope in one man for the sake of a holy mission have failed across the board. When nothing else matters except 
owning the libs, the substance of belief is pushed away for temporary victories. Such nonchalance has not only harmed a party that lost the White House, Senate, and House, but it has harmed American Christendom too. And I agree with her last statement here. Um, the article has concluded. Um, I think uh, Donald Trump did a lot for this country. Uh, I am a respecter of many of the things Donald Trump did, none the least of which was he exposed to uh, an unthinking, naive, too busy populace how corrupt the news media was, how um, unscrupulous and crazy and dogged um, a lot of folks were on the left as far as um, pulling the wool over your eyes and my eyes. Um, Donald Trump taught the Republican Party. They have not listened and will not listen in a few weeks, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to go back to business as usual. I can tell you that how to fight instead of how to get along. Um, so and, and there are many others, many other executive orders, which I'm not a big fan of that Donald Trump um, wrote that are very pro-Christianity, pro-God, pro-good over pro or over evil. Um, I, I, I cannot minimize those things. But, um, you know, some of the things that Donald Trump brought to the table um, would, are, are to be questioned by any born-again Christian. And I don't think they were largely for the last five years. And to Ms. Bar... Um, uh, the the um, the uh, author's point here, I think that um, temporary victories are not what we're looking for. We're looking for long-term victories, and we're looking to change hearts and minds in a way that attracts rather than repels. And we all know, uh, I've said it numerous times on this show and uh, others. It only takes a very small handful of, of people that are knuckleheads at these rallies to paint all Christians or all conservatives or all Republicans in a bad light. And the media was very, very quick to jump on the fact that um, and to to forward a narrative, um, even though it makes no sense whatsoever, that um those people that marched on Washington were, were terrible people and, and um, violent people and people that should be stopped. And that's a shame. So um, in the winding moments we have here, I saw another article in the Washington Post kind of talks about many of the things we just discussed here. It says uh, Republicans want reconciliation. Here's what they need to do first. And uh, I always find it, as many um, conservative pundits um, do, um, that liberals are going to give us advice. Uh, and I'm not a Republican, so I should not say us, but um, uh, Democrats love to give Republicans advice on, on how to do it, which <laughs> when is the last time you saw um, a Democrat or a Democrat operative in the form of uh, um an op-ed piece in the Washington Post, really thoughtfully and um, and honestly giving Republicans some advice on on how to operate going forward. Um, more accurately, 
this is uh, a warning rather than any friendly advice. And um, when Democrats give Republicans advice or the media who hates Republicans give them advice on how to operate, that's basically um, telling them what not only we would like you to do and our party would like you to do, but what you better do if you don't want holy hell to uh, to rain down. So this op-ed piece um, in the Washington Post says, a week after the shocking January 6th invasion of the Capitol by an angry mob, Republicans are suddenly calling for unity. We must work together to lower the temperature and unite the country, said House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. We must come together and put this anger and division behind us. Senator Ted Cruz, um, it, we must come together and, and um, put the division behind us, said Ted Cruz. And lastly, it is time to take the crazy rhetoric down on both sides, said Senator Rick Scott from Florida. With all of these GOP leaders and many more calling for reconciliation, what do they have in common? is that they voted against counting President-elect Joe Biden's electoral votes even after a mob stormed the nation's seat of government on the President's Trump's behalf. Um, okay, let's unpack that paragraph. Uh, it, it, it's very time-consuming, isn't it, uh, ladies and gentlemen? None of us have the time to do this, but each and every paragraph that we read and each and every conversation we have, we have to, to peel the onion skin. So the author here is setting up Republicans and calling them hypocrites for wanting to ratchet down the tension and the vitriol in this country. But um, they um, voted against President-elect Joe Biden's electoral votes. So the author is setting up little bit of a straw man here. Now, here's where the author gets into crazyville. It says, if Republicans want to talk about reconciliation, there is a minimum price of entry, a straightforward, unequivocal acknowledgement that the election was not rigged and that Mr. Biden won the vote fair and square. Mr. Trump is attempting to make the 2020 election a 21st century lost cause, entrenching the myth that malicious forces subverted American democracy to install Mr. Biden against the will of the voters. Um, so the, um, the ticket to get into the party, if you will, by this author is um, what I would term unconditional surrender. And this is the fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans. When Democrats win, and even when they lose, but when they win and they have numbers, they lay out how it's going to be. They act like winners. They are unswayed. They don't play politics um, as far as getting along with their Republican colleagues. And they tell them, this is unconditional surrender time. If you think this election was rigged and um, wrought with fraud, you better check that opinion at the door, okay? Because there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new Democrat president, Democrat Senate, Democrat House. Um, this Trump guy is gone. Shut up. Sit down. Uh, we'll let you bloviate a little bit. We'll let you have your Ted Cruz's and your Rand Paul's and your Mike Lee's. 
But um, if you're thinking of any movement, if you're thinking of any real legislative um, change or any opposition to our craziness, dot, 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 you better sit down. It's unconditional surrender time. And that's what this article is basically saying, that if you want peace, that yeah, I'll, I'll paraphrase this whole long article in a, in a couple sentences here. If you want peace, if you want calm, if you want us to not destroy you like we have done Donald Trump, you better sit down, you better shut up, you better acknowledge that Biden won fair and square. And I'll tell you another thing you better do. You better not um, go for this uh, crazy notion of election reform and cleaning up how elections are run in these states. Um, that nonsense is going to be checked at the door. And and so that is the the entry to the party, if you will, the ticket to get into the ball that um, the Washington Post op-ed piece writer here is saying, um, Republicans, on the other hand, heretofore and before Donald Trump and very quickly after Donald Trump, will assume the position that they always assume. Let's reach across the aisle, which when somebody says reach across the aisle, ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your wallet because um, it may sound like we reached across the aisle and we came to a compromise about this piece of legislation or that piece of legislation. But in reality, what we did is the Ferrari is going to go off the cliff at 40 miles an hour rather than 80. You should reelect me because I have an R next to my name and I'm not crazy like the people that you, um, that I'm engaging in, in Washington. Um, they're not fighters at all. And this is precisely we have, um, why we have a volatile situation in this country that every reason for the volatility is not necessarily a negative. Um, Donald Trump did not subscribe. You know, I, I've, I've taken the whole show here to, to kind of, um, in the opinion of some trash Donald Trump, I will end the show defending Donald Trump to the end. The, the reason that there's volatility and friction in this country right now is Donald Trump does not play that way. Um, he doesn't do well when you tell him to unconditionally surrender to, to a point um, or uh, sell out the people that put him in Washington, if you will. Um, the reach across the aisle Republicanism is something that Donald Trump, even though he wrote a book, The Art of the Deal, um, was not about when Democrats were lying, cheating, stealing, and fighting tooth and nail. That is the, the major reason that the, the guy's been impeached twice. And if they had more in time, they'd impeach him three times um, because he fights. They don't like fighters, the Democrats. They like Republicans that shut up and sit down. And um, so this article says, basically, it's a long article, but again, I can paraphrase it for you. It says, um, Trump is gone. If you want to enjoy um, your life in Washington the way re most Republicans like to enjoy their lives in Washington, um, make a lot of money, retire, be a lobbyist, um, put your kids through Ivy League schools, buy shore homes, you know, all the things that most people would like, right? Um, shut up, sit down, reach across the aisle. We'll probably break your arm as you're reaching across the aisle, but um, 
you can tell your constituents that you're compromising and reaching across the aisle, but reaching across the aisle, ladies and gentlemen, to Democrats is you better see it my way. And um, that is the fundamental difference between Democrats. They, they do not surrender. They fight to the end. And Republicans flap their lips a little bit and they fight a little bit. But at the end, they vote with Democrats. So these are interesting times, ladies and gentlemen. We will see how it shakes out. We will see if the Republican Party even survives and the Democrat Party is not too... Um, not too strong either. So these are interesting times and we will see. This is Kerf Llewellyn, Reshaping America. Have a nice day.